0: We are moving on to Amos 6, and if you've got your Bibles, do get them out. Um, we continue our journey through Amos, and it should, unfortunately, comes no surprise that it entails judgment and the coming punishment on Israel, the northern kingdoms. I sometimes wonder whether the uh, Christian lifestyle appeals to masochists, uh, because this is not the most pleasant journey, uh, certainly quite painful, or perhaps especially uh, evangelicals, those, who, those of us who hold the truth of the Bible, uh, most dear, God's word, uh, most dear, that we put ourselves through this pain. Certainly, I want to remind you of the, uh, the peace and joy that we have in Christ and the promised place in heaven. But as I speak up here week on week, I feel that uh, the the word is not taught properly unless uh, unless I've issued a challenge, and not just to you. Uh, I really feel feel it myself, Um, and perhaps that's the teacher in me. Um, And I would like to think, uh, but I would like to think that's the Christian in me and someone who follows the God of Truth. This week. I know I got a little bit annoyed at the display uh, that one of my colleagues put up. It said, it had a bit of a clickbait title. It said, uh, women, you need to know in the history of mathematics. And I could probably name two out of the eight that were initially put up. uh, And I was saying, well, I need water, I need food, I need oxygen, but do I need these to know these women? Is it going to change my life significantly? And I was arguing with people about this. The fact that they had to argue you know, kind of uh, annoyed me. And I, I was trying to figure out what, what my issue with this was. Um, and it really came back to the fact that this statement was not the truth. I didn't need them in my life. It was nice to know them. It's good to know them and to know that there are important women in mathematical history. But uh, need, that's not the right word. Anyway, today's challenge, as you saw by the title, is an old enemy of mine and all of us, one that I know well, and that is pride. St. Augustine believed that pride was the very essence of sin, not money. Pride is the root of sin. C.S. Lewis said, pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. So let's uh, read. Let's read Amos chapter six. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion and those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria. The most notable men are the first of, the, uh, of the first of the nations, to whom the house of Israel comes, pass over to Calneh and see from there go to, to Hamath the Great, and then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms, or their territory greater than your territory? or you who put far the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence, who woe to those who lie in beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst uh, midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David, invent for themselves instruments of music who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the r- ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they shall now be the first of those who go into exile, and revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. And the Lord God who has sworn himself declares, the Lord, the God of hosts, I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his strongholds, and I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. And if 10 men remain in one house, they shall die. And when one, uh, one relative, the one who anoints him for the burial, shall take him up to To bring the bones of that house and shall say to him who is the innermost part of the parts of that house. Is there anyone with you? He shall say no. And he shall shall say silence. We shall not mention the Lord, the name of the Lord. For behold, the Lord commands and the great house shall be struck down into fragments and the little house into bits. Do horses run on rocks? Does one pl- uh, plow there with, uh, with a- oxen? But you have turned into justice uh, ju- turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You who uh, rejoice in low uh, lo debar, who say, we have not our own strength. Uh, sorry, uh, who say... Are we who say, Have we not by our own strength captured Carnaim for ourselves? For behold, I will rise up against you, you a nation, O Israel, declares the Lord, the God of hosts, and there they shall oppress you from Lo- uh, Lohameth to the brook of Arabah. Let me pray. Father, we pray that we can heed these warnings, warnings to Israel, but also warnings to us. Lord, I pray that your spirit is here, speaking through me and speaking to the hearts of each of those who are here to challenge them, to help them to see, and, uh, see you and point them to you and your greatness. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Lord, and help us to... Begin that path of wisdom to trust you, but also to love you, Lord, because you are great. You are the creator, God. You are the God that raises up small people and raises raises low, great nations. Lord, help us to recognize you as this and heed these warnings in Jesus' name. Amen. So two weeks ago, uh, Josh spoke on Amos 4, which was addressed primarily to the wealthy women in Israel, the cows of Basham. and the challenge was to repent and return to God. Last week, I spoke on Amos 5, which again was a, a call to seek God, to heed the warnings and to change their ways. Judgment is coming. This week, unsurprisingly, and we've got nine chapters of this, uh, is no different. But you can see that this, let's have a look at verse one, oh, sorry, verse one is addressed to the notable men in Israel. Now, I wonder if, if I was a fly on the wall what the notable men in Hong Kong would say, what they would be thinking, what they would be planning right now. The business leaders, the chief of police, the government officials, the leaders of the community. I have no doubt that there is a ton of, uh, the, uh, on their minds that they are troubled because of the unrest, because of what's the changes that are going on in Hong Kong, Obviously, because of the pandemic and the trade problems, but also within 50 years, well, within 30 years, Hong Kong is returning to full Chinese rule. Now, that is obviously not like this. This is God's judgment. This is God saying he is going to come and wipe them away. The last week we saw that when 100 go out, 10 will return. That is as great as any military battle uh, defeat in history. When 10 go out, one return. We see more of that today. Well, Amos is telling the notable men of Israel that God's judgment, punishment, and death are coming. And we know that from history that this was less than 50 years, and maybe even as little as 30 years from the time of Amos. Judgment is coming. But I doubt that many of us would be so certain where we will be in 50 years. I undoubtedly will probably, well, almost undoubtedly will face judgment before then. And what's the attitude, but what's the attitude of these nobles? Judgment is coming. Look at verse 1 woe to those who are at ease in zion yes that's the southern kingdom but then he goes on to say those who feel secure in the mountain of samaria that's the northern kingdom they're at ease aren't they they're feeling secure complacent is the word that is often used to describe this passage i warned last week of those who felt comfortable especially those who felt comfortable coming to church each week that's a very dangerous position to be in to just be complacent let's go further verse two pass over to kelne uh, i think that's the right pronunciation correct me if i'm wrong afterwards and see from there go to hamath the great and then go down to gath of the philistines are you better than these kingdoms and undoubtedly they would say yes we saw in verse uh, chapter 1 that these, uh, these Israelites had had military successes, and they could look down on all the kingdoms around them, and they could be smug. Or is their territory greater than your territory? No. Remember that living in a pro- uh, they, they were living in a prosperous time for Israel. They had money. They were throwing money and they were religious as well. They were you know, giving money and sacrificing in, the, uh, in Bethel. They'd had a number of military successes. We can almost see them lying back and, you know, and being smug at this point. How complacent are they? I wonder whether as a church we have been guilty of being complacent. A few years ago, we had Pastor Craig and four active elders, Anthony and Mike and Derek and myself. Were we being too complacent then? I wonder a year ago, a year and a half ago, when we had the large hall and Yes, we didn't fill it, but we were at least, it was at least comfortable, uh, comfortable over half full in Marlborough College for Christmas. That was a good service, wasn't it? Well, we're we getting complacent then, such a luxury. This is a warning against complacency. Some of us have good jobs, comfortable lives, loving families. Are we complacent? And this is the point. This is the warning from this first section. Don't be complacent. You who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence, God's judgment is coming. Let's look down to verse four Woe to those who lie in beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lamb from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David, invent uh, for, them, for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine from bowls, who anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin or ruin of Joseph. We can see the characteristics here, the, the characteristic of their lifestyle here. I have never seen a bed of ivory. I know that ivory is expensive. But also couches, just lying back on couches. You can see their complacency. You can see their comfort. And there's nothing wrong with eating lamb. That's a, a favorite meat of mine. Uh, people would object to veal. I know that your veal calves are, are not treated nice, but this is not about that. There is nothing wrong with eating uh, mutton or, or beef, apart from the environmental context, uh, context, but I'll talk about that some other time, I'm sure. This is a time when the common folk may have had a, a, a meat meal maybe once a year. You can see that they are living in luxury uh, compared to the common folk. You might think about that when you're tucking into your burger for lunch. No, I'm not having a go at that. Enjoy your lunch. But we are wealthy, aren't we? I know that some are more wealthy than others in church, but I have no doubt that... I mean, I doubt that there is anyone in the church who couldn't go out and buy more food than they could eat just from either what's sitting in their pocket or uh, the credit card or the now digital uh, payment on their phones. How much of a luxury is that? That you can go out and buy more food than you could possibly eat right now. We live in a wealthy time something to consider and thank God for. And as a church, I have been, uh, I love the fact that we have provided for the poor at times, and we need to get back to that. And these men sit around, and rather than caring for the poor, we've seen that warning time and time again in the past. Rather than caring for the poor, what do they do? They listen to Spotify now. They they listen to Idle songs. They don't just drink wine from glasses or cups. They drink from bowls. They have plenty of wine. And they anoint themselves with the latest Calvin Klein. No, uh, the latest anointed oils, anointing themselves like a religious ritual. So what's God's point here? It is not that we should not enjoy the blessings. That was a double negative. I've got to be careful about it. It's not that we should, yes, not enjoy the, the blessings that God has given us. We should enjoy those. I'm not here to make you feel guilty of having a nice lamb steak for lunch. I'm going to make you hungry in a minute, aren't I? It's the next line that is the key. This is the key. Have a look at it. They are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. What's this about? I spoke about Joseph less than a year ago. I think it was just over a year ago, actually. I'm going to jump to Genesis. Oh, That's not the right passage. I'm going to jump to Genesis. Should have been the right passage. Genesis 37, down to verse 18. And we know this passage. You should know this uh, fairly, uh, it should be fairly familiar to us. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer. You see, Joseph wasn't very popular with his brothers. He had had dreams that they would bow down to him and he would boast about that. He was his father's favorite son who had been given a cloak of many colors. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. They will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and they threw him into into a pit. The pit was empty, there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. The horror of this passage isn't fully revealed until I'm going to jump to here to uh, to Genesis 42. We get to Genesis 42 and they have gone to Egypt. They don't know that Joseph is the, uh, the, uh, the official that they're dealing with. But Joseph has asked them to bring back Benjamin. And in verse 20, uh, 21 they say to one they said then they said to one another in truth we are guilty uh, concerning our brother that is joseph in that we saw the distress of his soul when they, when he begged us and we did not listen that is why the distress has come upon us you see joseph was in whilst in the deep pit he was thrown into the deep pit he would have been begging for his life he would have been crying and begging for his life their 17 year old younger brother they threw in a pit and planned to kill him and while he was begging for his life what did they do they sat down and ate Within the cries, I don't know whether they decided to move away so they didn't hear the cries of their brother, or whether they just ignored it, or whether they laughed cruelly and that they found it funny. This is what the notable men in Israel are doing. Their people, the poor, the helpless in Israel are crying out for help They are being abused and taken advantage of. They're begging for mercy and for aid, but these notable men in Israel have ignored them and continue to live their comfortable, wealthy lives. So my second point is very clear. Don't ignore the plight of the needy. God has charged us to look after the poor and weak in this society and we cannot ignore that therefore they the men of Israel these notable men shall now be the first of those who go into exile and the revelry of those who stretch themselves on their ivory beds and their couches shall pass away these notable men who enjoying their luxury so much will be the first to go into exile or be killed. Finally, God says in verse 8, the Lord God has sworn by himself, declares the Lord, the God of hosts, I abhor the pride of Jacob. I hate the pride of Jacob and hate his strongholds, and I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. Ten men in a the house, they shall die. And there's some confusion as to what uh, what this next section says. Is it that through the broken remnants of Israel, someone comes and says, is there anyone there? And in the house, a whisper comes out, no. But don't mention God, because his wrath is terrible. Because of the pride of Israel, the great house, that is Israel or Judah. We don't know which one it is. And the small house shall be broken into fragments. The pride of Israel. Jacob's other name was Israel. And in verse 13, we see this most clearly. You who rejoice in low debar who say have we not by our own strength captured carnaim for ourselves and those of you who know your bible history through genesis through the judges through kings know immediately that that is a red flag whenever israel has claimed some victory by themselves they have not given the glory to god you know that judgment is coming if only they had repented and returned to god as so many times before god would have blessed them greatly if only they had given credit to god i was surprised that when my cousin who is a christian uh i met up with her and we uh i yeah she said it's, it's so nice to, to have somebody to pray at the beginning of a, uh, yeah, um, a meal. In our luxuries, let us not forget God and praise God and thank God. In our wealth, we need to acknowledge God. We cannot forget God. That is our pride. C.S. Lewis says this. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. This is what the world doesn't understand. They will happily say, be proud of yourself. And obviously, pride is a great uh, banner being used all over, not just for the LGBT community, but pride is something that is held up. C.S. Lewis goes on, there is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we, well, I don't know about whether it makes them unpopular nowadays, it seems to be something that people wear with pride and no fault we, uh, which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. I'm learning more and more now how pride is so deeply ingrained in who I am. And it's painful rooting that out. The vice I am talking about of is pride or self-conceit. And the virtue opposite it is Christian morals. In Christian morals is called humility. This is the repeated message of those to those Israelites throughout the book of Amos. They had one chance to change their fortunes. And this was to humble themselves, repent and turn back to God. You see, it's pride that stops us doing that, isn't it? It's the voice in ourselves that says, I've done all of this. my own power. I've worked hard for this money. I've worked hard for this job. I deserve it. I earned it. I've done this by my own power. In saying that, we are echoing these Israelites, these notable men. I don't need God. I'm fine on my own. And God shows us just how capable we are without him. That's if he's merciful. We're pretty useless without him. And so the last lesson is very clear, isn't it? Don't be proud. So Amos gives us three very clear warnings in this passage. Don't be complacent. Don't be smug. Judgment is coming, and you need to be ready for it. Don't ignore the plight of the needy. God commands us to take care of them. And don't be proud. Repent of your pride and return to God. These are warnings that are just as relevant to us As to these notable men in Israel, things that we cannot ignore and things that we need to take to heart. Let me pray. Father, though it's painful, we pray that you root out pride, complacency, smugness among us. Give us compassion for those who are struggling, those who are vulnerable, those who are weak and those who are poor. Teach us to be more like you and care for your children. Lord, we pray that you continue to refine us, but also encourage us knowing that we have a place in heaven and that in heaven there will be no more pain and no more suffering, no more tears, and we will be with you and you will continue to provide for us more than we can possibly understand in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.